fiber in place. Welcome to Still in the Race, the podcast about running. Except for when it's not. The final collapse of my plan. It was Sunday morning and the wind chill was 23 degrees. Throughout the seasons, it's the wind chill, heat index, and wind dictate not only how I dress, but my mood and when I set out. I'm not capable of looking forward to a run if I harbor a fear of being cold. It's also the time of year when I'm constantly aware of the snow and ice. When I was young, there was just snow. Now there is snow and lake effect snow. I understand the meteorological differences, but it feels like a cop-out, like they aren't responsible for forecasting all the snow, just the easy parts of it. If I have to drive in it, potentially slip in it, and dress for it, there's no difference in my mind. It's all snow, and there is no recovering from a slippery spot that you weren't prepared for. I have to reflect on where I find myself. My content continues to ebb and flow as I search for where I belong. Part of it is the natural content evolution that I frequently find myself in. I am not particularly good at specific directions in any part of my life, finding myself much more comfortable with general guidelines, all of which makes the defined objectives laid out in my first episode overly optimistic. Secondarily, there is no way that it could have known where we would find ourselves from a historical perspective. I didn't realize that my 60th year would take a seismic shift and I would find myself running through history. I developed my concept pre-pandemic, which feels like a different world. None of us could imagine that we'd be measuring the dead in chunks of hundreds of thousands, or that millions of Americans would be sucked into a vortex of misinformation and lies that would result in the Capitol being ransacked while a frighteningly large number of our politicians refused to accept any accountability. Washington, D.C. would bring in 25,000 troops to protect us from, well, from us. It seems irresponsible to ignore where we are and not acknowledge that an outline made nearly a year ago was increasingly less relevant every day. We are on edge, and I find myself running and thinking. On the move. In the first episode, talked about how my plans for the first day had fallen apart because of the pandemic. Later, I would admit that my schedule was likely to never happen because I was trying to be something that I am not. Which leaves me with the last piece of the foundation that I attempted to create, spending the year running through the streets of downtown Grand Rapids. And now, even that is coming to an end. We have spent the last eight years living in the heart of the city. And of all the places that we have called home through the years, this has been my favorite. Regardless, I now find myself preparing for the next stage of life back in suburbia, which I admit has left me with some trepidation, even as I know it's the right thing to do at this point in my life. Still, I fear that I have made an old person mistake. The new home is beautiful and large enough to accommodate grandchildren and family when they come to visit. Regardless, it feels a bit sterile. It feels safe. It backs up to a golf course which is likely to confuse our neighbors as they whisper about the couple that bought into the golf community 
that doesn't particularly like playing golf. Everyone is of the same social economic group. Everyone looks the same and follows the same religion. It has little of the diversity and grit that we have come to love. But here we are. Since we made our decision to relocate, I have found myself paying more attention to the city. I have tried to cover all the streets and take a little more time looking up from the pavement to capture everything around me. I will miss running these streets. It has brought me back to an essay that I wrote the first summer that we were living downtown, Running the Bridges. When I started running as a teenager, as part of a sports team, I hated every step those first few weeks. Yet somehow, as I became an adult, it became a habit that I could never let go of, even through all the injuries and painful outings and lousy weather that come with living in the northern part of the country. For what has now become a life habit measured in decades, it has been part of my life where I find peace. I have found nothing elsewhere where you can be more utterly alone with your thoughts than when you are running. The noise of life quietly melts away. When we uprooted after our children spread out across the globe and moved to our new home in the city, it was only natural that working out new paths would eventually find their way to the water's edge. For over 20 years, there was a lake nearby, which was seven miles around, the perfect distance, and brought with it a serenity that always seems to accompany the rhythm of the water. A unique dynamic about a lake is that you are fully committed to the run once you set off. There is no turning back, no shortcuts, no pretending that you finish the run. There are always countless running paths regardless of where you live. Still, over time, I always find a few that are more comfortable to settle into, with enough variety that it never feels the same, and yet enough familiarity that I know the objective of the run when I set out. After a few weeks, one of my new paths took me to the banks of the Grand River, and while it's true that you can't circle a river, I found myself drawn to the many bridges that crisscross the rapidly flowing water. Eventually, I found myself settling into one trail that winds back and forth across the river ten times throughout a four-and-a-half-mile trek. That alone should be enough of a story. A nice path, a beautiful view that changed with every turn, the peace of being alone with the water. Millions of people do such things without feeling compelled to write about them. However, if I can take a moment to slice words thinly, it isn't the run that I take. It's the path. I soon began to shift my gaze from the skyline above to the waters below, and took notice of what lay in the distance. As it came into focus, it became apparent that I was moving through a very non-representative, yet somehow significantly representative, snapshot of Americana. It was statistically insignificant. Still, it felt, and still feels, symbolically relevant. I leave the front door of my building, dropping off my keys with the doorman to avoid the inconvenience of dragging them along with me, leave the million-dollar penthouse suites located on the top floors behind, and turn north up a hill that winds through a parking garage and over one expressway and under another. A good time to the Green Bridge is anything south of five and a half minutes, which always feels like when the run starts. The first bridge, the historic bridge with wooden walkways on both sides for runners, walkers, and fishers, with lanes too narrow for passing, unless you're from Europe, in which case there's plenty of room for two cars. Sixty seconds across, I turned back to the south throughout the carefully manicured park that leads to the pavilion where the first group of homeless always wait. Five African Americans, one white, always silent when I pass them under the protective cover. But this is just the first time. I am still feeling good, pretending that I look good. At least at this point, they are kind enough to play along with my delusion. The park is beautiful and falls down to the edge of the river. 
the homeless fill in the role of kryptonite for the target market, the architectures and government grant writers assured the city commission would flock to the area if they would just vote yes on the proposal. There's a slight twist in a walkway that leaves the park and moves down several feet to the river's edge. A retention wall covered with graffiti rises on my left as I move beneath another highway. The river's edge now has young and old alike searching for catfish that make the bottom of the river their home in this area. They are a mix of black Latino, many with young children running about. There are preteens, faces lost in their smartphones, their parents unaware that any day might be the last at the river before they disappear into the hazy life of a teenager. From across the river, the evening shadow of my condo building reaches toward the shoreline. The families on balconies able to look down on families that appear before dusk to fish that they will never meet. More likely, they have never even seen them. Not because they are unkind, leaving the skyline is simply too captivating. As I clear the bridge, there is a S-turn, and I rise high above the river surface along the narrow walkway. There are a few scattered men fishing with their lines falling far below, and I quickly pass them by. I will be back in 30 minutes to see their progress. Across the first busy road that I have to navigate, I move behind the performance theater where the off-Broadway shows and concerts arrive every weekend. Decorative bricks with logos of financial institutions and local law offices announce their support for the arts as they immortalize themselves in marble, much like a tombstone. The next turn takes me across the pebble bridge, where I leave the opera house behind and point myself toward the presidential museum. Those fishing less than a quarter of a mile behind me have been replaced by the well-dressed heading into the city for dinner at one of the many restaurants within walking distance. I turn left past a semicircle of benches that house the homeless second group, all black, all male. I work my way to the next bridge adjacent to another museum in a $500 per night hotel reaching 30 stories into the setting sun. The walkways are busy with the white visitors and the ethnic workers ending their shifts. The next turn is back to the south, down two flights of stairs, and back to the edge of the rushing water along a wooden walkway. Here awaits another group, a snapshot of a fleeting moment of life that, while you were part of it, feels as though it will surely last forever. The young teens, a mix of young men that look like boys and young girls rapidly becoming women, sit quietly smoking pot in plain sight, yet completely out of reach. They largely ignore me, knowing that the system lost interest in them long ago and are just happy that they are out of sight of the tourists. I run past, trying not to single out the one that will somehow buck the odds and rise from the path below the bridge to join Middle America, leaving the rest far behind. Even more so, I try not to identify the one that won't be alive in five years, the two more in ten. It's the quid pro quo the universe demands. Some will be allowed to rise. However, others will be claimed as payment. Back up through a path that can be best described as a switchback, I rise to the Blue Bridge, where socioeconomic, race, sex, and age all collide. It's an area in transition, but as I look around at another museum and multi-million dollar development from a university, the struggle's outcome has been predetermined. The participants just haven't been informed yet. Another quick turn north along the back side of the university property, then back east along the river before tracing my path through the same scenes, some of the same people, some different, all the same. We share the same space, but not the same life. I will be back again before the week is out. Running to Nowhere Another winter storm, and it's back to the treadmill. The trick is to find ways to continually distract yourself so that you don't watch the seconds slowly tick by. 
Outside, I am always aware of everything around me. The temperature, the traffic, the surface under my feet, the weather, the next turn. They are all the things that make up a run when pieced together. Running on a rubber belt feels like just killing time. I listen to podcasts, occasionally I watch TV. But other than moving my legs, it has none of the other parts that make up a run. Tonight was a bit better. I managed to complete five miles with relative ease. There was a football game on, so I watched while I listened to a podcast about clouds. For variety, at the snap of every play, I altered my pace up and down between a predetermined range. During the commercials, I held the top speed until the game returned. It was a great example of treadmill running. I watched a game, but was more tuned into the timing of the plays than the scores. I was listening to a podcast, but only listening sporadically. I was running, but it was a series of 30-second intervals that had nothing to do with running. Regardless, the time passed much more rapidly than normal, and I had once again avoided the snow. When I return for a new edition, I will be in a new place, exploring new trails, searching for my comfort zone. The challenge will be finding where I belong in a place without water nearby for the first time in my life. And, for the first time since I started this project, I don't know what direction I'm headed which feels a lot more natural. Thanks for stopping by for this edition of Still in the Race. If you'd rather read, you can join me at stillintherace.com. As always, production and editing, care of Trey Jones. You can find him at treyjoneswriter.com. Additional editing and artwork, Astrid Burke. You can find them both at babyfeverpodcast.com. I look forward to next time when I hope to have something to say. But don't count on it.